Good morning. I have to uh, start this morning by thanking the people that were involved <clears throat> in the Herculean efforts that took place this past week. The sound booth that you see back there did not exist last Sunday. Some of you walked past it and you didn't know it, but the old one was torn down. They built a new one to accommodate some new equipment. We're going to soon have the ability to live stream services, which I'm very thankful for. Now, the purpose of live streaming services is for people, and hear me very carefully, who cannot be here. That's why we live stream services, because there's some things you cannot do online. Remember, the sermon last week was on fellowship. You can't fellowship online. You can't take communion online. You can't get baptized online. Uh, so we'll be able to live stream services for those who cannot be here. Uh, we'll also be able to um, broadcast things like weddings and funerals if family members can't be here as well. So it's really cool. I'm really excited about it. We want to use it appropriately. Okay, that's your public service announcement for this morning. <laughs> and welcome. Thank you for being here. How many of you can remember your very first date? <laughs> Some of you may be reluctant to say so. I can remember it quite vividly. Uh, I was about 13 years old, and I asked this girl out, which in and of itself was totally nerve-wracking. So her name is Jennifer, and our parents dropped us off at the movie theater together. And we went and we saw the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? So we go, we see the movie, another one of our parents comes and picks us up and, and takes us back home. And frankly, the only thing I could remember about my very first date was how absolutely nervous I was the entire time. I don't remember much of anything else, but I remember the back of my neck felt hot the whole time. And at one point, it felt like my feet were burning. So I, it was just totally nerve-wracking. And I don't know how your first date was, but it may have gone something like that when you had to make that phone call. And your hands may have been a little cold and, and, and wet, and you, you may have been nervous. You, know, you didn't know what the person was going to say. Are they going to say yes? They're going to say no. See, life is full of those kinds of experiences. And if it wasn't a first date, think about that first job interview. And if it wasn't that first job interview, think about that time you had to speak in front of people. How that may have made you feel nervous, anxious. And you know, there's something else that comes up in life that can produce those same kinds of feelings. Maybe you're standing in a line at, at a grocery store. Maybe you're sitting in a coffee shop. Or maybe you're on an airplane and somewhere in one of those venues, a conversation comes up. And in the back of your mind, you start getting this thought, maybe I should tell this person about Jesus. But then as you start thinking about that, you start thinking about things that could go wrong. This is a person I've known for a long time. What if I mention this and they don't talk to me again? What if as I'm speaking, they just seem like they want to get away from the conversation as quickly as they can? What if, fill in the blank. See, I've been there. I know the feeling. I know those feelings that come when we, we want to share the gospel with somebody, but for whatever reason, fear jumps in 
and it keeps our mouth shut. And what I want to talk about this morning is this subject of how can I be bold in sharing the gospel? How can I be bold in sharing the gospel? The passage I want to look at today comes from the book of Second, uh, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through ten. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You may be seated. Uh, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series called Vital Signs, and we're talking about the vital signs of the church. What is it that you look at a church and say, is it alive or is it dead? In the same way a person has a pulse and blood pressure that let you know this person is physically living. How do we know if a church is physically living? So we've been going through these vital signs, and we've been looking at a few of them already. We've talked about worship and the need to be true worshipers. Uh, worship through prayer, worship through singing, uh, worship by reconciling broken relationships. We've also talked about instruction and the need to be lifelong believers and learners. And we've also talked about fellowship. We talked about that last week, how important it is for us to be in groups with other people who are sinners just like us. And it's messy, but we do it anyway. And this morning, we're talking about this subject of evangelism, sharing your faith. And immediately, I, some of you feel your shoulders tensing up just a little bit as we talk about this. And the biggest problem, the, the, the biggest struggle when it comes to evangelism is fear. That is the biggest issue. So today, we're going to talk about evangelism, and we see it breaking out again in this very first church. And it said there, in Acts chapter 2, speaking of these 3,000 people who had trusted Christ for the first time, it said, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how do we overcome this issue of fear when it comes to evangelism? How can we be bold? So this morning we're going to talk about three reasons for boldness to share the gospel. And then we're going to talk about three mis misconceptions uh, three wrong ideas about evangelism. So three reasons to be bold, and then three misconceptions or bad wrong ideas 
when it comes to evangelism. So I want to jump into this passage this morning. Uh, and again, it comes from this book of, of Thessalonians. Paul had written this letter to this church in a place called Thessalonica. And these are new believers, and he was speaking to them about a previous trip that he had made there. And uh, it, it was interesting because this church was having a great impact. Paul went there, he shared the gospel, and a lot of people came to faith. And it was having a, a big impact on that world around them. So speaking of that previous visit, Paul said that it was not in vain. Then he goes on to say in, in verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And then you see there in verse 3, it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, see, this is a key verse, uh, because Paul's saying to them, we are only speaking to you the truth, talking about him and his companions. He said, we're only speaking to you the truth. And Paul says first that their appeal does not spring from error. Now, what does that mean? Literally, that the message of God, the gospel itself, which means the good news, is true that it doesn't come from a wrong place. Um, error, the, the way Paul's saying it there, literally it means it did not come from the fanatic ravings of a lunatic. Because there were people traveling around like charlatans that were saying crazy things. He said it wasn't that. He said it wasn't from impurity, meaning the message was, was clean, and finally this was not an attempt to deceive them. As again, other people were traveling around and doing at that time. He wasn't trying to trick them. He wasn't a charlatan. Their message is true. So the first reason, how can we be bold, is because you and I know the truth. We know the truth. Um, see, this is what makes the gospel so so powerful. And it's, it's so, so simple. Because it's true. I've mentioned this in past weeks. We're living in a, a really weird, weird time. And our culture is just getting more and more off. And, and, and at some point, we got to this place where you can have your truth and I can have my truth. But now it's like truth has just become a bad word altogether. So that people don't even want to acknowledge that there's any kind of truth. Because if there's any kind of truth, that means somebody's right and somebody's wrong. So things just keep in, get, getting more and more backwards. And I came across this article talking about how primitive our culture is actually becoming because it'll no longer acknowledge truth. Now think about that. There, because even scientific truth is being disregarded now. And I love what this article said. It said, as faith in Christianity recedes in the West, a strange thing is happening. Having shaken off belief in God, people are not becoming more rational, they're becoming more gullible. They believe that babies in the womb aren't really human beings, that same-sex marriage is the equivalent of real marriage, that there are roughly 52 varieties of gender, that boys can become girls and vice versa. In general, they believe that wishing 
makes it so. Now, this is where we are. This is where we are. And as much as we have this bad taste in our mouth when we hear that, this is what happens when you no longer acknowledge that truth exists. We should not be surprised by this kind of stuff. What people need is the gospel. You see, that's truth. That's good news truth. And that's what undergirds, the absence of that is what is undergirding the kind of issues that we're seeing right now. You know, you can't have civil society without truth. You can't have justice without truth. Without truth, and the gospel is truth, you see, it's not something we apologize for. The gospel is something that we actually set loose and watch the impact that it has. I had a teacher in seminary, a man by the name of Stan Toussaint, and he used to tell us that sharing the gospel with people is like striking a match and throwing it in a barrel to find out whether or not there's gunpowder inside. You know the instant you throw a match in a barrel if it's got gunpowder inside. I remember asking a pastor, he'd already been to seminary, I was in seminary at the time, and I, I said, what was the most important thing that you believe you learned while you were in seminary? And he thought about it for a minute, and he looked at me and he said, that the gospel has a power that's all its own. It is like this lion that you just need to set loose. And we do that by telling people the truth. Our culture is, is literally dying for the truth. I mean that quite literally. So first of all, be bold because you know the truth. You know the truth. We just need to share it with people. I want to look at this second reason, and we can find it in verse 4 of chapter 2. And there it states, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, this is a very bold statement for Paul to be making. He's literally saying that we have been shown by being tested to be genuine in the same way that you would heat up metals and melt them to see whether or not they're pure, to purify them. He said, we've been tested in the same way, and we've been found to be approved. You know what? If you're here today, and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, guess what? You're approved. You are approved by God to go out and make this message known. It's like you're an ambassador. You know, countries have ambassadors to go there and represent the leadership. That's what you became whenever you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're one of His ambassadors to go out and share this message. He said we've been approved by God. And secondly, we are approved by God. This reminds me of a story I read about. It was a young man who... Uh, He'd studied the violin under this world-class master. And he was playing in a concert one time in front of a, a huge audience. And when he was done, he, he was kind of crestfallen. Even though people were applauding and, and, and they were showing their appreciation for what he could do, he still didn't seem like he was quite happy with things. And this happened a few times. Way up in the balcony during one of his performances, 
set the man whom he'd studied under. And this man kept coming back to his performances. And what people didn't know was that his master knew the capability he had. And he wasn't happy until he finally saw a smile on the guy's face that had trained him for all these years. And when he saw that, then he was very happy. And he, he expressed that happiness after he performed because it was the master who had told him, you've done a good job. Listen, your master, Jesus Christ, is saying, you're approved. You can do this. You can do a good job. And that's the only opinion that matters. And he said, you're made to do this. I've approved you. You've trusted in me. So we're bold because we've been approved by God. He's entrusted us with this message to pass it along. Then we come to this last reason, uh, and we find it in verses 5 through 8. And he says there, For we never came with words of flattery. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, what's Paul saying here? See, this is where we see what was motivating Paul to do what it was he was doing, to go there and to share the gospel. And in these verses, we see three things that was motivating Paul. Um, first of all, we see he was, he was not motivated by making a favorable impression on them with words of flattery. He didn't want to just say things that they wanted to hear, okay? Uh, that's easy to do, by the way. When you're speaking up in front of people, you want the people to like you, you want to say flattering things. Then secondly, he wasn't motivated by greed. He didn't come there to just make a name for himself and fatten up his wallet, as people were accustomed to doing at that time. Honestly, not much has changed. And then finally, in verse 6, he wasn't just there to seek glory from people. He wasn't just up there speaking so he could, so he could make himself known and, and have accolades told about him as to how good he was at what he did. So those were the three things that didn't motivate him. But what did motivate him? Uh, the answer to that is you. He mentions the word you four times in this passage. And there were ways, two ways he talked about these non-believers in Thessalonica. And think about this and how you deal with people in your own life who don't yet know Christ. Because it says that he was gentle. He said, we were gentle among you. And then he uses this weird way of expressing that. Um, he said he was like a, a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, just think about that for a moment. Think about a new mother with a baby and how much she loves that baby, how she looks after that baby. And how she would die if anything happened to that baby that she could have prevented. That's how Paul's describing his gentleness here. He's caring. He's, he's, he's gentle. He's, he's affectionate to them. 
And then it goes on to say that he gave these Thessalonians his time, even his very self, it says, because they had become very dear to Paul. Now, just think for a moment about that unbeliever in your life. Uh, maybe it's a coworker. Uh, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. How are you treating them? Are you treating them with this kind of gentleness? Are you treating them with this kind of affection? Are you making yourself available to them in, in any way possible? That's what Paul's doing. This is what is motivating him. And by the way, if, you, if you're doing that, uh, you can trust that you have the right motives. And that should embolden you. You're not after somebody because you've got something to gain from them. You're not trying to sell them a bill of goods. You love them and care about them, and that's why you're sharing the gospel with them. You have right motives. So these are all reasons that we should not be afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy to get some bad ideas about evangelism. Believe me, I've, I've harbored them and struggled against them, even to this day. Um, but there's misconceptions about what evangelism is. And I want to go through three of those misconceptions right now. These are, these are bad ideas that's easy for us to adopt about sharing the gospel. And the first is that in order to evangelize, you must be able to defend what you believe. In other words, that you put this pressure on yourself that you've got to have all the answers, you know. And maybe you've experienced this. You bring up the gospel, and all of a sudden somebody comes back at you. Well, what about the age of the earth? What about this? What about that? Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. Nowhere, nowhere in the Scriptures does it say that you have to have all the answers. It says that you declare the gospel. You share it with people. We take it on faith. There is no laboratory that's going to be able to prove that someone was raised from the dead. We believe it to be true. We have to take that on faith. Now, there were witnesses. People saw this. They passed it on to other people. But we don't have to have all the answers. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, And I, when I came to you, this is Paul speaking, Brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says there, I didn't have all the answers. I'm not claiming to be wise, but I do know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. The gospel is a really simple message. So the first misconception is that you've got to have all the answers. It's just not true. Um, and then the second misconception, this is an important one. If evangelism scares you, then you don't love Jesus. That's totally not right. The issue is not whether or not you're afraid. I, to some level, we're all afraid to do this. You can love Jesus and be afraid. And by the way, Paul was very much willing to admit that's the boat that he was in. Uh, I love what he says. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 3, the very next verse. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Paul's saying, look, look at the words, weakness, fear, much trembling. If you are sharing the gospel with somebody and they can't see that your hands are actually shaking behind you, that's okay. You get that hot feeling in the back of your neck, your feet feel like they're burning, it's all right. This is all normal. It's normal. See, you push through those things. The reason you 
You asked your wife out or whomever it may be on that first date. The reason you went to that job interview, the reason you got up and spoke in front of people was because you believed that the end result was going to be worth it. That's why you pushed through fear is because the end result is worth it. There's nothing like seeing somebody coming to faith in Christ. To see the hand of God come down and you know that you played a small part in this. You made it known and God comes in and He does the work. He's in the one, He's the one in the business of saving people. Remember in Acts 2.47, it didn't say that the people were adding to their number daily. It said that the Lord added to their number daily. God was the one doing the work. We just make this message known. And then this third misconception is that God is disappointed with your results in evangelism if you have not led many people to Christ. That's totally false. Totally false. We can so easily become numbers-driven in the church today. It's all about how many people. It's all about how many people are in your church. It's all about how many people you've brought to, brought to faith. You don't bring people to faith. We just make the message known. Let me tell you, they, if they rejected Christ, they're going to reject us. It's, it's just the way, not everyone is going to believe. There are some who are unwilling, and that's unfortunate. But this is a misconception. This is a, a misconception. So putting this all together, be bold by trusting in the truth and the truth giver. Be bold by trusting the truth and the truth giver. Now, everybody, when they came in today, uh, should have received this little booklet called May I Ask You a Question. That is my personal favorite method of sharing the gospel with people. I've done it one-on-one. -on -one. I've done it with people in hospital rooms. I've shared it with large groups. And I think it's a very clear. It's got some great scriptures and illustrations in there you can use to explain it. And it, it's a, a very sort of non-confrontational way of entering into a conversation with somebody about the gospel. So if you didn't get one, please stop by the, uh, the welcome desk outside, and you can pick one of those up. And I suggest you memorize that. Memorize the Scriptures, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and Ephesians 2.8 and 9. It's very straightforward. It's, it's, it's very good. Uh, in closing, I want to I share a story with you um, about a woman named Angie. Now, Angie, she actually lives in Georgia now. Uh, like many of us, in college kind of straight away and did our own thing. You know, a lot of us, we trusted in Christ as kids, but then we sort of go and we, we do our own thing. Well, this, this was Angie. Angie had two roommates, and uh, Angie's two roommates, they saw the way that Angie lived, right? Uh, they, they saw who she was dating. They saw what she decided to do and not to do. Things really not consistent with what she said that she believed. Well, after Angie graduated, she came back to the Lord, uh, started serving him again, went back to church. But she started thinking about those two roommates that she had back in college. And she decided she needed to go and she needed to share the gospel with them, knowing full well that they'd known the kind of life that she led while she was in college. But she didn't let that stop her. She went and she did it anyway. She shared the gospel with them, and both of those young ladies, they were in their 20s at this time, came to faith in Christ. And one of those young ladies even went and married a pastor. 
a pastor who's now a preaching at a church here in Wyoming. I'm that guy. <laughs> and I can't tell you how thankful I am that Angie took the time to share the gospel with Melissa. Because had Melissa not done that, we, we would never have met. She wouldn't be here with me. I don't know what I'd be doing. So you see, I'm so thankful that Angie had that boldness. You know what? Don't let anything hold you back from sharing the gospel. Don't let anything in your past, don't let fear press through it. Be bold and trust in the truth. You know the truth and trust the truth giver. It's God that does the saving. Please pray with me. God, we're so thankful for the good news. We're thankful for the redemption that you've offered us. God, please, please give us the courage and the strength to not keep that message to ourselves. God, help us to make it known. Help us to share it with others. And Lord, I pray that now as we go into a time of communion, that you would, <clears throat> that you would still our hearts and that we would consider your boldness. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>